Hello, this is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, and today we'll be mapping muscle on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Dr. Lyon received her doctorate in osteopathic medicine from the Arizona College of Osteopathic Medicine and is board certified in family medicine. She earned her undergraduate degree in human nutrition from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, where she studied vitamin and mineral metabolism, chronic disease prevention, and management and the physiological effects of diet composition. She also completed a research and clinical fellowship in nutritional science and geriatrics at Washington University in St. Louis. Dr. Lyon believes that muscle is the organ of longevity, and we're about to find out why. Dr. Lyon, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Hi, I'm so glad and happy to be doing this. I am so excited to talk to you. It has been a long time coming. I've heard so much about you and I've been reading your work and I know you look at health and medicine and muscle through a really interesting lens. And I'm wondering if you can help us understand what you mean by muscle-centric medicine. Absolutely. Muscle is actually the organ of longevity, and it truly is the focal point for all things health and wellness. And currently, right now, we have a fixation on obesity, type 2 diabetes, and all the diseases that fall in line with that of metabolic concern, which would include, say, for example, Alzheimer's. The reality is, though, we are not over fat. We are under-muscled. And while we see these diseases or we see them physically manifest, the pathophysiology of obesity, type 2 diabetes, components of insulin resistance, Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease are actually diseases of skeletal muscle first. That also includes insulin resistance. So if you are going to take a functional medicine approach, you must address skeletal muscle as the organ of longevity and truly the focal point for change. And so that really sums up the new paradigm of thinking, which ultimately is the paradigm of the future, especially if we are looking for serious change. Mm, mm, oh my gosh. I have so many questions for you. I want to go to the left side of the matrix and just ask you what's happening with muscular or muscular system from an early stage? Like, Are some of us genetically prone to having 
less of this resilience in our muscles or is it through our lifespan? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I think that what you're asking is, are certain people predisposed to have and develop certain kind of musculature or do they have certain kinds of muscle fibers? And I would say that is a very challenging question to answer. Um, There is some epigenetics that happens when individuals, you know, like uh, pregnant women are training, the epigenetic effects on the fetus is important. I will take this from a very practical standpoint that we ultimately don't know individuals' potential. We don't actually have a sense of, you know, what their ultimate musculature can be. But what we do know is really based on the fiber types, type one fibers have more mitochondria. That's really what we think about utilization, fatty acid utilization and insulin sensitivity. Type two fibers, there's type 2A, type 2X. And then there's, of course, a combination. These are more of the glycolytic fibers. And ultimately, I believe that you are born with a certain fiber type, which is mixed, which is one reason why muscle in itself is very difficult to address because as opposed to adipose tissue, which is homogeneous, skeletal muscle is not. And you can actually change fiber types based on the activity that you're doing. So from a practical standpoint, is there anything that you can do because we don't routinely do muscle biopsies? I mean, we do in research. I did in my fellowship. But what we actually can think of is ultimately breaking it down to being active at a young age and cross-training. So that does mean aerobic type activity. That also does mean resistance and then a combination, which is high intensity interval training to really develop all fiber types. So I have to say that there's few of these podcast episodes that I share with my boyfriend, but he (laughs) avidly works out. He's very, very much believes in the powers of weight training for longevity. And I know he's going to love what you're talking about. So I'm so excited to share it. And I also appreciate that you're talking about those triggering events starting at a young age. What else could we be thinking about epigenetically through our lifespan to really hone in on this powerful longevity tool we have within us? There are three components to this question, and I love that actually this is a medical-based or practitioner-based platform. One, we have to understand that skeletal muscle is an organ. It's actually an endocrine organ, and it releases myokines. And these are protein factors, including cytokines and peptides, that are expressed and secreted by skeletal muscle cells into the circulation, and they exert endocrine, paracrine effects. Exercise, so the first component of this is exercise. If we believe that muscle is an organ, which in fact that is true in the literature, Penderson is, was the pioneer in this, exercise has been shown to be a major regulator in the production of myokines. And myokines are, again, those proteins and peptides that are released from skeletal muscle. So when we think about from a functional standpoint, we often think about hormone production when we're young. We often think about thyroid activity. We also, and importantly, yet very, this is very early on in the science, we must think of skeletal muscle in that endocrine-like fashion because it does release these myokines, in particular interleukin-6. That's the most common myokine, and that's produced in skeletal muscle as well as smooth muscle. And 
immune cells. So there is this crosstalk. If we are talking about a robust immune system and we are talking about effective ways to utilize carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, these myokines that are produced, one of their roles is actually as a nutrient sensor. I know that that's somewhat new information. The whole point of having a discussion about that in particular is thinking about from a very young age, optimizing for myokine production. And again, the most commonly studied one is interleukin-6. And of course, there's interleukin-10. But as it relates to exercise, activity, and weight management, and insulin sensitivity. And it's through these muscular contractions that these happen. I'm glad you talked about that one first. It was one of my questions to ask you to speak into that connection between muscle and the endocrine system. Because of course, the mantra of this podcast is everything is connected. We are all unique and all things matter. So in that center part of the matrix, understanding these connections, we can't just think about them uh, apart from each other or as divergent, but also supporting each other. The immune system you talked about, what about the nervous system? What about the brain. Yeah. So again, there are many, many hundreds, if not thousands of myokines that we don't actually know. Again, this is a new science. I mean, we understand the interleukins as it relates to inflammation. Another common myokine is BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotropic factor. And that I would say we've all heard of, but this is another impact that muscle has on its effect on brain tissue. And that becomes really important to understand that you know, while we think about muscle just as this mechanism for locomotion, it is above and beyond locomotion and truly is the most pliable organ that we have. And truly, if we can shift the paradigm of thinking from obesogenic and really obese-centric, fat-phobic, to muscle-centric, we can set people up in a way that allows for success and longevity so if we look at it from you know, a health standpoint, we also have to think about falls and accidents. But you know, I know we only have 15 minutes, so there's two other points that really we have to understand and hit. When we talk about muscle health, one must understand that skeletal muscle, as we age, has what's called an anabolic effect, meaning the things that we did when we were younger, like eat a Twinkie diet or a low-protein diet, we could train haphazardly and eat haphazardly, and we would still have this muscle effect. Muscle effect I'm defining as muscle protein synthesis. That is very robust when we are young. We are driven by hormones, including insulin, which is an anabolic hormone. As we age, however, skeletal muscle becomes resistant to nutrient factors like dietary protein. This becomes essential if we are talking about longevity and health, and we must be able to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, which again is that exactly what it sounds like, is the synthesis of new proteins. And as we age, we are no longer, nor do we want to be driven by hormones, specifically insulin, right? Because that just creates a, an increase in weight gain. We do want to be driven by protein. And I talk a lot about optimizing protein in terms of the way in which we do it to overcome anabolic resistance, which is this decreasing sensing mechanism in skeletal muscle, dietarily wise. And a great take-home point that everyone needs to understand is you need to hit a minimum of 30 grams of protein per meal. There's no two ways about it. This is what needs to happen to actually trigger that internal mechanism 
which is mTOR. You must stimulate mTOR. mTOR is dependent on leucine. Leucine is a branched chain amino acid that comes from high quality proteins. This sensing mechanism decreases as we age. The only way to overcome that is to increase the amount of protein driven at one time so it can overcome that sensing and efficiency barrier. What do you do with people who have a harder time measuring when it comes to addressing their protein intake? Or is there a way you get around that in your practice? Well, in my practice, <laughs> patients are <laughs> the kind of patients in my practice, no, right? They are coming to me because they are looking for a certain change. But I would say for other providers, an easy way to do this is, well, number one, there's no reason why they should have trouble measuring their protein. Uh, muscle is body armor. You have to account for it. If you're tracking your money and you're tracking your calories or you're tracking any anything in life, there is a little bit of discipline. And I don't think we should shy away from that to implement. And that does mean initially tracking dietary protein. If an individual, I will say, is eating a lower protein diet, adding in a branched chain amino acid complex, which is a two to one to one ratio of leucine, isoleucine, and valine to a lower quality protein meal would be sufficient. And that's just one scoop of branched chain amino acids. Typically, individuals will not require an essential amino acid mix if, in fact, they are eating a quality protein source. Yeah, that makes sense. So we in your three that you wanted to touch on, we have that the skeletal muscle is an endocrine and paracrine organ, that it has an anabolic effect. There's an anabolic resistance that happens. Anabolic yeah. resistance, right. That And that's, that's happening as we, just naturally as we age. And then the third one? The third one is making sure you're doing enough, I would say, resistance training. You know, I, I hesitated for a second because it's not just about resistance training. It is about cross-training. But one of the things that people shy away from is actually taking care of hypertrophy and really addressing hypertrophy as a modality for health and wellness. And hypertrophy is certainly growing stronger, bigger muscles. I mean, strength isn't necessarily involved in that hypertrophy component, but strength and hypertrophy have a tendency to go hand in hand. That must be addressed. And as we age, it becomes more difficult to stimulate that tissue. And you can build muscle at any age. It needs to be a primary focus as opposed to fat loss. We have to switch the concept of fat loss into muscle gain and fat loss will come secondarily. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that reframe. And those three are really interesting to dive into. And you're really at the cutting edge of this conversation. Are there other nutrients other than the protein that support our muscle health? That is a very good question. And I want to be very careful about how I answer that. I love that. <laughs> so mechanistically, it is an amino acid conversation. Mechanistically, for muscle protein synthesis, for muscle turnover, for repair, and protein turnover in general, it is an amino acid issue. And there are nine essential amino acids, and you know there's a, a series of other non-essential amino acids. So the question is, is another nutrient required? The answer technically is no. 
(laughs) But we must understand that there are things that can help muscle and muscle energy, but not necessarily with muscle protein synthesis. Things like creatine, which actually creatine is found naturally in foods and, and red meats. Creatine is important. Vitamin D is important. There are vitamin D receptors. Omega-3 fatty acids are important. But again, nothing is going to be as important as A, high-quality protein, and B, overall calorie intake to support muscle growth. Interesting. Okay. So when we think about the right side of the matrix, we have to be in the exercise arena, be thinking about resistance training from the nutrition arena. We really should be thinking about our muscle health through the intake of protein and the amino acids in particular. Maybe there's some other nutrients that help, but really focusing on those amino acids. Are there other things that either support or contradict our muscle health, whether it's sleep or stress? Is there anything else we could be thinking about for overall tending to the soil of our muscle health? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's interesting. Your enemy is cortisol. Mm. Cortisol is catabolic in nature. Of course, there's an initial cortisol spike that happens during training, but low levels of cortisol, low levels of chronic inflammation will impair and impede muscle quality, muscle health. And when I say muscle health, as we age, there can be a tendency to get fat filtration into the tissue, but stress and lack of sleep. So you have to be able to recover. When you think about muscle health, you do think about mechanical tension, which is training. You think about metabolic stress. You also think about muscle damage. And you need to think about repair and repair really comes from rest, recovery, sleep, and keeping cortisol levels low. But I will say a caveat here. I do not think stress is bad. I think that, you know, that there are very important components to stress, but you have to get good at managing it and navigating it. Yeah. I love that conversation. It's not a bad thing. It's just how we then recover from it and go into our rest and digest. Before I let you go, and I have tons of notes and I can't wait to link to all your resources in the show notes, but how do we think about this conversation around muscle health differently when we're working with people who may have chronic issues that are neuromuscular or affect the muscular system? Yes. So there's two main ways. Number one, this is important to understand is blood flow restriction, which is a way in which individuals can train with much lower weight. And then there's e-stim. So electrical stimulation is very important for these people. Blood flow restriction, electrical stimulation, and dietary protein immediately following training because you've increased blood flow to the muscles. At this point, they are primed for nutrient absorption. I know that there's a lot of controversy in the space to determine, you know, people will say, oh, you don't need protein right after you train. You don't need amino acids right after you train. Um, Well, technically, if you are young and healthy in a 24-hour period, that's correct. However, with an aging population or an impaired population, very closely after training is advantageous. 
So great. Dr. Lyon, I just am thrilled to speak with you and love what you're bringing to our attention. And like I said, I took tons of notes and can't wait to dive in more deeply to your work and hopefully continue to be able to work with you. Thank you so much for all you do and for being here with us today. You are so welcome. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our full body systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.